space is now open for business. Welcome to the second episode of Space Ventures Radio, the podcast that takes a close look at the products, teams, and business models driving today's most exciting space ventures. My name is Raleigh Werner, and I'll be your host, guiding you through a breakdown of a company that's leading the industry in small payload launch services called Rocket Lab. That voice you heard right at the beginning of the show was Peter Beck, founder and CEO of Rocket Lab, and I'll talk about the significance of that clip in a moment. So, if you're interested in what's going on in the commercial space sector and want to get the nitty-gritty on a cool, exciting company, stay tuned. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. All right, I'm going to start things off by letting you know exactly what you're getting into here. What I'm going to do is break down Rocket Lab in four different sections, starting with the upshot, basically just a one to two minute high level overview of the company. The goal with the upshot is to deliver as much value as I can as quickly as I can to anyone who only has a few minutes to listen. Now, after the upshot is going to come the beating heart of this show, the closer look. I've structured this section to reflect how a company might present itself in a pitch to potential investors. Specifically, I'll talk about the problem the company is addressing, the solution they're providing, the company's business model and the market opportunity they're chasing, the founding team, and finally, we'll take a look at the competition. To close out the episode, I'll give you a sense of the company's roadmap, checking out what the future looks like for Rocket Lab. And finally, I'll wrap things up with a summary and my own personal estimations of how risky or how solid the company might be. So if that all sounds good to you, let's get started. All right, let's jump into the upshot here. Rocket Lab is a launch services provider focused exclusively on delivering small payloads to low Earth orbit, or LEO. The company's goal is to solve some of the launch challenges that companies hoping to send small payloads into LEO currently experience, and small payloads is defined as about under 200 kilograms. These challenges include infrequent launch schedules and high costs. The current standard for getting small payloads into space is the quote-unquote rideshare format. A rideshare essentially allows smaller spacecraft to hitch a ride on a large launch vehicle that's paid for by another company but still has some room left on board. So that company then sells the remaining space off to companies who have smaller payloads. Rocket Lab aims to improve the small payload launch experience by offering a low-cost, high-frequency launch system. Their current product is their Electron rocket, which can deliver up to 165 kilograms of payload to LEO, and their goal is to be able to launch the Electron rocket 100 times per year. At the vision level, founder and CEO Peter Beck wants to catalyze the process of getting a critical mass of satellites into low Earth orbit. To achieve that vision, the company has stated the following mission, quote, to make space open for business. And that's the line spoken by Beck at the very start of the episode. That's the upshot. 
For those of you who have to run, thank you very much for listening. You can follow Space Ventures Radio on Twitter. The handle is at PodcastSVR. For those of you still with me, let's jump in and take a closer look at Rocket Lab. All right, jumping into the closer look here, again, we're going to break down this section into five subsections, starting with the problem that Rocket Lab is addressing in the market. Let's start with a clip from Peter Beck, CEO of Rocket Lab. As time progressed, expectations were that space would become more affordable and more accessible to business. Yet today, this is still simply not true. With a two-year wait to launch and over $130 million on average spent to buy your own rocket. So Peter Beck addressed two major issues there, but there are actually three. The two he addressed are long wait times and high costs, but there are also deployment challenges. And let's take these one by one. So one of the biggest pains in the butt for any company trying to launch a small satellite into low Earth orbit is actually getting the darn thing into space. As I mentioned in the upshot, the primary method for getting small spacecraft into low Earth orbit is the secondary payload or rideshare model. Rideshares are pretty straightforward, but there are a couple of issues. The first problem with the rideshare market is the frequency of launches. For context, SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket did 8 launches in the past 12 months, and Arianespace did 11 across all 3 of their launch vehicles. And not every launch offers rideshare space. So in the context of a booming small satellite market, where as many as 3,000 nano and microsatellites will require launch over the next 5 years, there just aren't enough launch opportunities for small satellite operators. The second problem is figuring out the right launch vehicle. Not every satellite wants to be in the same exact orbit. For example, if you're an Earth observation company and you're trying to position your satellites in a constellation to bring round-the-clock imaging to your customers, having all your satellites in the same spot won't make any sense. So as a satellite operator, not only do you need to find available rideshare space on a launch vehicle, you also need to make sure that wherever they're going to deploy the secondary payloads makes sense for your particular mission. And finally, even though the rideshare market has drastically reduced the cost barrier of getting into space, the cost is by no means a negligible expense. For example, sending two 10-kilogram nanosatellites into LEO with rideshare pricing will still cost you about a million dollars. So how is Rocket Lab solving these problems? Meet Electron, Rocket Lab's state-of-the-art all-carbon composite launch vehicle, a rocket dedicated to help us reach space, launching as often as you would like at $4.9 million. All right, that was very rude of Peter Beck to cut me off there, but he is correct. He's talking about... The solution. The Electron Rocket is the product that Rocket Lab is offering to the market to solve the three issues of high cost, long wait times, and deployment challenges. So we're definitely going to take a look at how Electron proposes to solve these issues, but first I'm going to tell you a little more about the product itself. Okay, so at a completely subjective level, I find this product, this rocket, extremely cool. Uh, There was a ton of work put into it. It's built really, really intentionally. Uh, But let me jump into the more objective stuff here and let you be the judge yourselves. So Electron is a ground-launched two-stage rocket whose structure and propellant tanks are made entirely from carbon fiber composites. Now, using carbon fiber for the rocket's structure was a very intentional decision that required a lot of sophisticated research. 
Beck's goal in pursuing a carbon composite structure was to maximize the mass efficiency by keeping the structural mass fraction low. And what that means, basically mass fraction in this case is just the mass of the structure versus the launch weight, which is the mass of the rocket with fuel and payload at launch. Now, the Electron rocket weighs about 5 tons at liftoff, which makes it a significantly lighter launch vehicle than, say, a Falcon 9 rocket, which weighs in at over 600 tons. But 5 tons is still a lot of weight to get into low Earth orbit. So, what's Electron using to propel itself into LEO? Cue epic music, please. So those thrust sounds that you're hearing behind the music are the Rutherford engines, and they're the main propulsion system for the Electron rocket. Now, I'll get a little bit technical describing them, but then I'll break some of that down. So the Rutherford engine is an electric turbo-pumped LOX RP-1 engine specifically designed for the Electron launch vehicle, capable of 5,000 pound-feet of thrust with a specific impulse of 327 seconds. And let me translate some of that. So starting with LOX, that stands for liquid oxygen and it's useful in this propellant combination because it creates a very high specific impulse, meaning it helps the propulsion system use the propellant more efficiently. The higher the specific impulse, the more efficient the engine is at using its propellant. And RP-1, the second half of that LOX RP-1 propellant mixture, is a highly refined form of kerosene that's similar to jet fuel and is very commonly found in rocket fuel mixtures today. And one important item to note as well is that the Rutherford engine is the first oxygen hydrocarbon engine to use additive manufacturing, or 3D printing, for all its primary components. This not only greatly reduces the cost of manufacturing the Rutherford engines for Rocket Lab, but it also makes scaling up production relatively easy. Now let's talk about Rocket Lab's business model and the market opportunity that they're chasing. So again, Rocket Lab is addressing three major challenges in the small satellite market by building a launch vehicle that is affordable, that can launch frequently, and can deploy payloads in a number of attractive orbit locations. Unlike most launch service providers who offer payload delivery to both low Earth orbit and geosynchronous transfer orbit, or GTO, Rocket Lab is focused 100% on LEO. Again, they want to become the standard in high-frequency small payload delivery, so they're focused on reducing launch costs and maximizing the number of launches performed. So what is Rocket Lab charging for space on their Electron rockets? Their payload price is around $30,000 per kilogram, or a company can pay $4.9 million for the whole launch vehicle. Now, I'll mention in a 2015 interview, which I've added a link to in the show notes, Peter Beck, the CEO, mentions that we, quote, priced our launch vehicle at the same price as what you'd pay if you want a rideshare on a large launch vehicle. So it's important to note that Rocket Lab doesn't currently offer true cost savings versus rideshare launch at the moment. My assumption is that they've strategically set their prices at parity with rideshares to attract customers initially and then hook them with the vastly more frequent launch schedules and preferable delivery orbits. It seems that if they can really turn the dial up on launch frequency, then they can start playing the volume game and not only provide far more launch opportunities, but offer substantially reduced pricing and completely dominate this sector of the launch services market. 
Another critical part of the business model that I want to address, because it's a really hot topic in rocket technology right now, is reusability. So Rocket Lab has deliberately designed their electron rocket booster as an expendable system after deciding that the cost of refurbishing used boosters would be too high. On the subject, CEO Peter Beck says, quote, there is a lot of added mass and complexity to reusable systems. When your booster is worth $20 million or $30 million, then to have the infrastructure required to retrieve, service, and refurbish makes sense. But when your booster is worth single-digit millions or less, the cost equation doesn't close. It's more cost-effective to not reuse. End quote. So let's talk about how things are going so far for Rocket Lab. Well, if it's any indication, they're already booked solid through the first quarter of 2018, and much of the rest of that year is already booked as well, so space is definitely running out. One of their biggest customer wins happened in February of this year. According to an article on TechCrunch, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, Spire Global has made an agreement with Rocket Lab for an impressive 12 launches over the next 18 months once their launch facility is complete. Also, just last month, Planet signed a launch services agreement with Rocket Lab. That is a huge deal for them. Basically, they bought three dedicated launches, meaning they bought the entire rocket. $4.9 million per launch. That's a lot of cheddar. So just looking at next year in 2017, Rocket Lab has nine scheduled launches. And if they're collecting about $5.6 million in revenue per rocket launch made up of multiple customers and $4.9 million per dedicated launch, they stand to earn over $50 million next year with their Electron rocket system. And to close out the business model section here, I also want to give a nod to their intentionality towards vertical integration. One great example of vertical integration they've set up is having their own commercial launch facility. There's no leasing space and having to deal with another entity that owns the launch site, which definitely makes them more nimble. Let's talk team. So the team section is going to be kind of short here because it's actually just Peter Beck who started the company on his own. He's the sole founder, and you've already heard a lot about him in this episode. But I'll give you a quick bit of his background, quoting from his bio page on the website. Peter is an acclaimed scientist and engineer, having been awarded a meritorious medal from the Royal Aeronautical Society for service of an exceptional nature in New Zealand aviation, and the Cooper Medal, presented by the Royal Society biannually to those deemed to have published the best single account of research in physics and engineering. So this guy's definitely got an aeronautical engineering and physics background. He's the sole founder of the company. He is absolutely the guy to be leading this charge. All right, on to the competition. So as I mentioned in the upshot, Rocket Lab's primary competitor really is this entire rideshare market, piggybacking off of large launch vehicles and all the players in it. So actually, one quick bit of history that's relevant here, early in SpaceX's history, they were considering using their Falcon 1 rocket as basically a dedicated small payload launch system. So what SpaceX was initially proposing really to the market was using the Falcon 1 uh, to bring payloads weighing up to 500 kilograms for $6 million per launch, a similar model to what Rocket Lab is using. But what ended up happening, actually, in 2009, SpaceX discontinued the Falcon 1 system. Uh, There were a number of failed launches. They did have a successful one uh, in 2009. But Gwynne Shotwell, who is the COO and president of SpaceX, said, quote, we could not make Falcon 1 work as a business. She said the market just wasn't there. 
And that's kind of a bummer for SpaceX because, uh, as we all know now, the nano and microsatellite market is just exploding in a lot of ways. And that sort of started with this CubeSat revolution right around 2010, just a year, maybe even six months after SpaceX decided to discontinue the Falcon 1. So I wanted to bring that up as a piece of history because it illustrates really well how important timing can be. It seems like Rocket Lab really got the timing right on this and SpaceX did not, which is great for Rocket Lab for a number of reasons, not least of which is that they don't have to compete in the small payload market directly with the Falcon 1 from SpaceX, which is one of the most successful commercial space companies in history. But Rocket Lab is definitely going to have to watch out for some of the innovations happening in the rideshare scene right now, one of which I'll mention specifically, which is Spaceflight's Sherpa Tug. So the Sherpa system is a spacecraft which uses a custom ring as its primary structure, and it includes a propulsion system and other spacecraft subsystems to operate as both a hosted payload platform and an in-space maneuvering stage to reposition small and secondary spacecraft. And Peter Selding, a reporter at Space News, has reported that the Sherpa for the Q4 SpaceX launch is already sold out. So I think it's a safe assumption that a full booking of the Sherpa tug proves the market demand for the product and its ability to deliver 90 satellites in one go will definitely bring down the rideshare cost for customers. So this is definitely an area of innovation in rideshare that's going to give Rocket Lab some competition in terms of their services. But obviously, the one major drawback to the Sherpa Tug, even though they can bring up a large number of satellites in one go, they still are beholden to SpaceX's launch schedule. So if SpaceX needs to delay a launch for whatever reason, all of the Sherpa customers and satellites on there are going to have to be delayed as well. Versus Rocket Lab, which still has a major advantage in its ability to do frequent launches. So that's it for the competition. We're going to enter the last section of the closer look here, which is the roadmap, looking at the future of Rocket Lab. Uh, And then we'll be on to the last section of the show, uh, the conclusions. So basically, in terms of the roadmap, I think one thing that's great about Rocket Lab is that they're so laser-focused, right? They've got this one product, the Electron Rocket System, and they know exactly what they need to do. They need to bring down costs. They need to do more launches, So really the only milestone that they've published and the one that they're solely focused on from all outward appearances is getting to this 100 launches per year goal. Uh, And I think it's the right thing they should be going after. So all in all, from an outside perspective, and we're jumping into the conclusion section here, Rocket Lab is really well positioned in the marketplace right now. It is leading in a really high growth category. So I have to tip my cap to Peter Beck for his timing with starting Rocket Lab. He appears to have timed the market just perfectly here. Starting the company just a few years before the CubeSat revolution started around 2010, which was just a year after SpaceX abandoned their Falcon 1 small launch vehicle model. As I mentioned in the problem section of the episode, as many as 3,000 nano and microsatellites are going to require launch over the next five years, according to Spaceworks. So with that in mind, Rocket Lab's goal to maximize the frequency of launches is a sound one. Getting to that 100 launches per year is the right milestone, because if they can become the most routinely available launch service for small payloads over the next five years, they're positioned to close a lot of $5 million contracts for themselves. 
And considering that Rocket Lab already made huge strides in reducing the mass fraction of the rocket structure by investing in this carbon composite technology, it appears that there isn't much optimization left in terms of cost savings for the Electron rocket. They're running as light as possible. So other than raising prices, which is going to be really difficult as technologies like Spaceflight's Sherpa Tug come to market, launch frequency will be the way that Rocket Lab both captures the market and makes a lot of money. So the one part of the business that we don't have a lot of information about, which is actually the linchpin in this whole operation, is the unit economics of each launch. And they're going to have to get those right to make this business work. Right With dozens of launches scheduled and mostly purchased at this point, if they haven't gotten the math to work where they're making money on every launch, they're going to need to do so really soon. Otherwise, they're going to need to raise a fair amount of capital to keep the lights on and to honor the launch services agreements that they've signed with major customers, while convincing investors that they've found a way to make the economics work out in the future. But again, there's just not a lot of information out there about the unit economics, so they may already be there. To close out the episode, I want to mention that the Tari Group published a comprehensive report in January of this year called Startup Space. That report takes a deep look at investment in commercial space ventures throughout the past 20 years and goes into a lot of detail. And part of the report distills their interviews of investors in the space sector, including asking about their future outlook. I found this sentence in there, and it's just too good to be true and too relevant to this episode and to Rocket Lab. The report indicates that, quote, many investors said that lower cost launch and more frequent launch, one said at least weekly, were very important to them. So it sounds like Rocket Lab is meeting a critical need in the market, not only from the perspective of companies that require small payload launch services, but also from investors across the industry. Pretty cool stuff. So again, hats off to Rocket Lab. I really do think this company is going to do some awesome things for the space industry. That's it for this second episode of Space Ventures Radio, the podcast that digs deep into new space ventures. I'm Raleigh Werner, and it's been awesome sharing this exciting company with you. Don't forget to leave comments. Tell me what went well, what could have gone better, companies you'd like me to break down, or anything else. You can stay updated on the latest with Space Ventures Radio on Twitter. The handle is at PodcastSVR. Thank you so much for listening, and have an awesome day. Take me high.